You're listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, everyone. So we continue our Epiphany series, All in the Family, today taking a look at Simon's mother-in-law. Certainly that's in the family. No, no laughs. Of course that's in the family. I mean, mother-in-laws are kind of a stereotypical joke. A lot of us have a mother-in-law. My mother-in-law, may she rest in peace, um, was one of the most wonderful people I've ever met. But you all know that mother-in-laws are often kind of the, um, the what, the, the, the joke, right? The, the punchline. So we're going to try our best to, to avoid that today. So we have only two more Sundays in Epiphany. Only two more today and next Sunday we'll finish up all in the family and we'll move on to Lent. And although we do really emphasize here at Oasis the church calendar, because we want to make sure that what's forming us is, is Christianity and the church tradition and not just the civic calendar or kind of the national tradition. Um, I think that's important um, because at the end of the day, what makes us who we are is not that we're citizens of the United States or that we are customers of Jeff Bezos, um, but that we, we are children of God. Like, that's, that's our true identity. But I don't want you to misunderstand this. Just because we emphasize the church calendar doesn't mean that we are opposed to the civic calendar, right? We're not anti-civics. We're just alternative to it, which means that we do live in the world. We're not of the world, but we are in the world. We're in the world as salt and light. We're in the world as Christ is in the world to be representatives of Christ to the world, right? It's for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. And so now we are sent as the body of Christ into the world. And so there are ways in which we do want to kind of celebrate the life that we find in the world. Whether that's Mother's Day or Father's Day or this month is Black History Month. And so... We want to kind of celebrate that. We don't want to kind of let that come and go and us not pay attention to what's going on in the world, particularly when what's going on in the world is something that celebrates part of God's good creation. You with me? Yeah. Okay. Just thought I would um, uh, underline that, underscore that for you. Let's get back to Simon's mother-in-law. So Jesus has come. Uh, to Capernaum, and uh, he's gone to the synagogue. He's cast out a demon. We talked about that two weeks ago, or was that last week? The one it was last week. Uh, the demon kind of said, "Son of the Most High, why have you come to torment us before our time?" He's healed some sick. There's a whole cluster of kind of miraculous activity, and afterwards they've gone to the house of Simon and Andrew, and at the house is Simon's mother-in-law. So this kind of is going to suggest maybe something, maybe something that's different, maybe not too different. We're kind of getting back to it of these kind of multi-generational homes. Like in the ancient world, that house that they went to was just a couple of rooms. And in that house lived Simon and his family and his brother, Andrew, 
and his family and also Simon's mother-in-law. Like she's probably not just there visiting. Like they're living together. The, 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 the multi-generational and multi-family homes was their way of being. Like uh, archaeologists have uncovered uh, ancient Capernaum. And if you kind of go, you can kind of see it. There's a synagogue that's there. There's this, I was going to say beautiful, there's this interesting Catholic church, looks a little bit like a spaceship, um, that sits over a home there in Capernaum, which uh, we believe could have been uh, Simon's home. And so there was some very, very early uh, Christian graffiti uh, that was found there. And so when Jesus gets there, and it's this kind of multi-generational, multi-family home, Simon's mother-in-law has a fever. Now, in our context, that's not that big a deal. If you have a fever, you take a couple of Tylenol, and, and then you're better. But in the ancient world, having a fever was pretty serious. I mean, it could mean, it could mean death. And so Jesus takes her by the hand and raises her up. Which again, seems kind of innocuous, not that big a deal. Although there are only three people in Mark's gospel that Jesus takes by the hand. Jairus' daughter, of whom it said she was dead. He takes her by the hand and raises her up. The, the boy that's been demonized and was constantly throwing himself in the fire. And the, the disciples try and exercise the demon but fail. Then Jesus comes and he, he, he delivers the boy. Jesus takes him by the hand, right? And he was lifeless. And now, in addition to that, uh, the daughter of Jairus and the boy who was demonized, two children that he takes by the hand, who seem lifeless, Jesus takes Simon's mother-in-law by the hand. Maybe, some, some commentators suggest, that indicating that she was near death and that her lifelessness is a, a precursor or a foreshadow of the lifelessness that Jesus will have. And the same way he raises these people up, he too will be raised. So this is like a, it's a significant thing that he takes her by the hand and he raises her up. Now it says he raised her up and she immediately began to serve them. Now, maybe that's great. For some, that's a little problematic uh, I actually read one commentator said that he healed her just in time for her to make supper. <laughs> right? So the one older woman in the house is the one working and providing, right, the food and the meal for all these adult men who have come, who are in the house and their guest who has, who has come to visit. But <clears throat> with all due respect to that, and I, I, I can hear it, I, I hear it. Um, the word serve, particularly the verb here to serve, is an interesting one in Mark's gospel. It's only used with four different characters or groups of characters. The first time we see anybody serving anyone in Mark's gospel is at the temptation of Jesus where it says the angels came and served Jesus. So we know that angels do this type of activity, right? Angels serve. And then Jesus says of himself, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So the Son of Man, right, the, the divine Messiah, is also one who serves. So angel serves, angels serve, and the Messiah serves. 
And then at the very, very end of the gospel, Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, uh, the mother of, of Jose and the other guy, I forget his name. I'm really bad with names. And Salome. The three of them, this kind of Galilean trio, are said that they have served Jesus from the beginning. And then lastly, we have Simon's mother-in-law. So that's it. That's the only characters in the story of whom it is said that they serve. So angels serve, the Son of Man serves, Mary Magdalene, Mary, and Salome serve, and then this woman, this uh, mother-in-law of Simon serves. That's pretty good company. Like, the Messiah, angels, and like leading disciples. And then there's the, not just the noun, serve, but there's also, excuse me, the verb serve, but there's the noun, servant. Like, that's only used a couple of times, and it's used in cases like this. Whoever wants to be first will have to be last and become a servant of all, right? And Jesus, again, refers to himself as a servant. So both as a noun and as a verb, this is a pretty technical term in Mark's gospel, and it's always used for those who at the closest part of kind of realizing or embodying the, the kingdom. This is, this is not kind of, kind of insignificant in the way that works. So this is, uh, this, is, this is a big deal about kind of who she is and kind of what she's doing. Like the, the word, particularly the noun, this is a little bit of a sidebar, but I'm just interested in it. Um, the term servant, when it's used in scripture, that same word, like the rest of scripture, a lot of modern English translations, when that term is used for a man, they translate it deacon. And when exactly the same term is used for a woman, it gets translated servant. Hmm. That, that might say more about the translators than it does about the text. Right? So when translations are not kind of neutral. They, they're affected by our own context and our belief systems. I mean, that's why you need to come to church on Sunday so you can hear sermons like this that explain those things to you because that can get lost in translation. And you don't want that lost in translation because the truth of the gospel is this, is that we are all in the family. We all bear the image of God, right? There's not, there's not some of us that bear the image and others that don't, right? It's, it's something that's collective. It's so collective that I've become convinced that it's not so much that men hold the image of God and women hold the image of God, but that men and women, when they're together, reflect the image of God. That God said, let us make humans in our own image, and he made them male and female. So that the maleness and the femaleness has to be kind of joined together in order to reflect what we're talking about in this image. It's something that we all share, certainly, Simon's mother-in-law. So what does all of this have to do with this passage from Isaiah? So in Isaiah, the main emphasis on Isaiah is not on any one person. In fact, it's on God. It's about who God is. That God 
created everything and God can care for everything and God has everything kind of taken care of and that we shouldn't worry about our present or our future because God is a deliverer and God is a provider and God is a sustainer. It says of God that God doesn't grow weary, that God doesn't faint. But then it goes on to say that the rest of us do grow weary, right? Even the youth, even the youth grow weary, even they faint. But those that wait upon the Lord, They shall not grow weary. They shall not faint. They shall mount up on wings as eagles and run and not be weary and walk and not faint. So I want to play with that text just a bit and and indulge me because um, I'm not saying this is exactly what Isaiah meant. But when I read that text with the Isaiah text with this Markin text, at least in English, all of a sudden those words start to. I don't know, collide with each other a bit. Because I think in Isaiah, those who wait upon the Lord means those who wait upon the Lord. Like I'm waiting for the Lord. Like when's the Lord going to get here? I mean, the Lord's omnipresent, so he's probably already here. But anyway, don't get too technical with me. Right, I'm waiting on the Lord. Except that when I think about this mother-in-law and her service and how her service starts to be a a precursor to what we then find out that Jesus is like, that Jesus is the servant. He's the one who didn't come to be served, right? He's not the one in the chair waiting to be served. He's the one who's here to serve. And I realize that those who wait upon the Lord might not just be the temporal meaning of waiting, but the the more active verb, that those who wait on the Lord, those who serve the Lord, those who do things for the Lord, we call them, now we call them servers, typically, in the food industry. But we used to call them waiters, right? Because they were waiting, they were caring for, they weren't just spending time with, they were also providing service to. And I think, I think that's really important about how Christianity works, how life with Christ, life in the kingdom works. So here's, here's an epiphany uh, for us today in the season of epiphany. I want to tell a story. When I was in seminary, um, occasionally they would call these all night prayer meetings and it would start on Friday night at midnight and we would pray until 6 a.m. on Saturday and then we would disperse. So it wasn't every Friday. It was just kind of now and then, you know, whoever was in charge of that kind of called it. And so one Friday night they'd called a prayer meeting and so I thought I would go. And so at midnight, you know, shortly there before, I get to the seminary. It's kind of a little eerie showing up at midnight, you know. And as you might guess, it's not a huge crowd that shows up for an all-night prayer meeting. So it's a relatively small crowd. There may be, I don't know, 20 of us. We get there at midnight, and we kind of disperse in different sections in the chapel, which is not this big, maybe a third less. Like this, it's about this big. And we disperse in the chapel and, and people are on their own and some are praying and some out loud and some silently and some are reading scripture and just prayerful time, 
right? And that started at midnight. So about 3 a.m., it's like three hours later, there was a faculty member there, and he called us, he got our attention, and called us all down to the front and in front of the altar. And he was like, so what have you heard? Which is an interesting thing, right? Because I had mostly grown up thinking of prayer as me talking to God, not necessarily talking with God. I was never really listening. I was always talking. Particularly, I was giving either petitions, I wanted God to do something, or some kind of thanksgiving or praise. Those were my only forms of prayer. So that idea of listening to God, or what God might have said to me during prayer, was still relatively new to me. So what have you heard from God, he said. So I didn't say anything. (laughs) I just sat there. And this one lady that was there, she raised her hand, and she said she felt um, God lead her to read Psalm 24. So the professor's like, well, why don't you read it for us? So she got out her Bible, and she read Psalm 24. And amongst the other things that Psalm 24 says, it says, Who can ascend the mountain of God except the one who has clean hands and a pure heart? And the professor jumps up and runs out of the chapel. I'm like, this dude is weird. (laughs) So we're all just sitting there, shocked. And it doesn't take much time. The, the chapel doors open, and it's him. And he has a pitcher of water, a, a bowl, and a towel. And he comes back down to the front there in the altar area, and he proceeds to wash this lady's feet. Not the lady who read the psalm, but this different lady. I'm like, okay, it's like 3.30 by this point. So I'm a little sleep-depraved. And he's on his knees, having washed her feet and dried them. And he holds his hands up, does this. And then he kind of chuckles. (laughs) So at this point, I've had it. I'm like, what are you laughing at? Like, what's going on? He's like, Robbie, look at my hands. Look how clean they look. And honest, it was the cleanest set of hands I'd ever seen in my life. I don't know how his hands looked that clean. And he said, I can tell you, not only are my hands clean, but my heart is pure. And I learned something that night. Too often in our lives, we think we have to get our life in order. We have to get our life just right. We have to be doing the right things and saying the right things and thinking the right things and going to church so often and reading the Bible so often. And we got to do this. We got to not do that. And we we have to order ourselves and then God might use us. And then God might save us. But here's the thing. It's not you ordering that puts you in a right position to have a relationship with God or to be used by God. It's as you serve that your life will get in order. It's as he washed her feet that his heart was purified. You don't wait until your hands are clean and your heart is pure to start serving or to use this phrase, to start waiting on God. 
It's as you live a life waiting on God, serving God, and serving others, it's then that your life gets put into order. It's then that your interior life becomes what you've always hoped that it would become, which is one of love and service and self-deferential preference, right, for the other. All those things that we would like to be, we will become not when we try to be those things, but rather when we serve. When we serve breakfast, when we serve as a greeter, when we serve communion, when we, when we serve our fellow family members by getting them something to eat or by doing the laundry or by cleaning the dishes, by filling up their car with gas, like all of these things that seem so every day. Right? They seem so ordinary. They seem so normal. Those are the very places where our service to them, to others, and therefore to God will shape us into the people that we want to be. So that when people, years from now, talk about us, they will associate us with the angels of the Lord and those who are the disciples of Christ. Why? Because we too waited upon the Lord because we too were servants. As they wait upon the Lord, they renew their strength. They mount up on wings of eagles. They run and don't grow weary. They walk and they do not faint. Mother-in-laws, in this case, are great examples of how to be. So may we all aspire to be like Simon's mother-in-law. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.